Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome once again to Name Redacted. Name hopefully, Redacted. <laughs> hopefully that is the last time we uh, call it that. I uh, it, it better be, because we got yeah. some name submissions. Um, <laughs> so uh, I am your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm your other co-host, Corey Tyndall. Corey, tell them what the show's about. This show, essentially, like once we get a fancy title on it, is basically MJ and I counting down our 100 favorite slash influential movies in movies we've loved throughout the course of our life. So some of them we picked because we really love them. Some of them we picked because they were instrumental in opening us to a new genre of film or something important or whatever the reason. But we discuss that every episode. We're going to look at one film that MJ chose to put on his list and one film that I chose to put on my list. Yep, and uh, we will address what happens when we have crossover on those lists yes. soon. Cause... But first, <laughs> um, we don't have a name. And don't. What happened with that was we originally were going to call this podcast uh, The Films That Made Us. And it just so happened that the people from Trailers From Hell, right a month before we launched uh, this show started a podcast called the movies that made me and it was the filmmaker joe dante talking to his famous friends about the movies that were influential in their lives so yep. uh, it was a happy accident i don't know the trailers from hell guys there's no way they know who i am uh, <laughs> they and, might yeah maybe um but no that that's not what happened they didn't steal the name from us it just so happened that that it was a stupid, stupid coincidence. It just wasn't um, meant to be, MJ. It wasn't yep, meant to be. Not, not that name. Nope. Uh, so instead, uh, as fate would have it, they decided uh, it decided to, to have us turn this into a contest. And uh, we kind of had a half an idea for a contest last time. But I put the feelers out there. Um, sorry to chomp your flavor, Aaron, if you're listening. Because um, <laughs> he hosts the Feel and Film podcast. Anyway, oh, okay. so I decided to put the... The feelers out there and I received some suggestions about what to name it. Now, here's the thing. If we choose your title, you will forever be immortalized as the person who named the uh, name redacted podcast. (laughs) So I went, never mind. Uh, That's not something I should put on the, on the podcast. Um, (laughs) and uh so if if we choose your name you'll be immortalized forever as the 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 person who titled this show but you will also receive one of two ish more like three ish prizes of your choosing um one is we can either buy you a film on blu-ray that is uh uh one of your 100 favorite movies of all time. Like there are some movies that I don't own on my list. So I know there are probably some on yours that you don't own mm-hmm. and you can do that or uh, you can double or nothing. No, you still get something. So it's not double <laughs> or nothing, but you can, you can double your fun. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully at least, at least have the same amount of fun. And uh, you can choose two mystery Blu-rays and what will happen if you choose two mystery Blu-rays is, I will send you a Blu-ray off of my top 100 list Mm -hmm. and Corey will send you a Blu-ray off of his top 100 list. Yes. So you you don't get a say in the movie. Now, 
for the most part, if you have content restrictions or you don't want an R-rated movie or opposite, you don't want a G-rated movie or something, you know, uh, you get a say in that. Other than that, though, we're going to be as mainstream or as obscure as we're feeling like when we order that thing for you. So, anything's fair game yep we will uh we will announce the winner by the end of this episode at the end of this episode and then once yes. we announce them and uh we'll, uh get all once your we info announce the window, yeah uh mm-hmm. message us we'll get your info and uh we will send you your stuff hopefully sometime in october um that's, you should go that's you should go for the mystery box that is the, yeah the mystery based- box is a real fun idea <laughs> and not just because i came up with it um and i will say the mystery box seemed to be the popular uh the popular one when we were talking about it in uh in the group that i posted it in people really like that idea so everyone um, loves the mystery box mj yeah so let's go through some of these we don't have to go through all of them we received actually kind of a lot of suggestions so we thank did you. thanks guys um wh- uh, what what's jumping out to you on this list Corey? Um, man, there's there's some great ones. I like a hundred reels, the movies that made us, because it's okay. like some it's somewhat similar to what we initially were trying to go for. I also like formative filmography, mm-hmm. and I also like if we're going, you know, we're trying to like. Stick with the real theme at, you know, in real perspective. I like real influences. I like real influences a lot. I like a hundred great films and a hundred that MJ likes too. <laughs> um, I also like the FU films that made me podcast. We are calling ours the films that made us anyway podcast. Just to stick it to them. Just, to, yeah, because we're <laughs> punk rock. Um, yeah, yeah. I like the variations on the fashioned by film, forged by film, uh, formed by film thing. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, yeah, I like a lot of those. Yeah, so really uh, good suggestions. Yeah, thank you guys so much for those. It means a lot that you guys listened uh, to our plight and and were creative enough to come up with some of these. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we'll talk off mic about this. Well, we'll probably talk on mic about this and I'll edit it out later at the end of the podcast. And then we'll announce our winner. Yeah. Um, but without further ado, we're going to hop mm-hmm. into what you're here for. And you are here to hear us talk about our number 100 favorite uh, film of all time. Also, a uh, little bit of housekeeping up front. Yep. Our lists are now 100% locked in. So from this moment forward, <laughs> we are no longer allowed to to uh, to edit our list. As much as I loved Mandy watching it this past weekend, I uh, if I see it again and really, really love it a second time, mm-hmm. I cannot bump that into my nope. top 100 for the purposes of this podcast, yep. even though it might cross my own personal 100 at some point. Also, Mandy's a bonkers ass movie and you should see it. That's um, what I hear. We're basically like the bus in speed, MJ. Yeah. We've hit yep. 55. We're going. Yep. We can't yep, get any slower. It. So, yeah, we're locked into this crap right now. And we will announce these um, titles as we as we come across them, as yeah. we set up. So we announced at the end of the last episode what uh, uh, the films for this episode would be. 
And just if you want to follow along with us and kind of get to know us better through our uh, film and the films that we enjoy. So on the docket today, we have Neil Young, Mm -hmm. Heart of Gold. That was my pick because obviously. And uh, (laughs) then we also have Bridge of Spies, the recent Steven Spielberg film starring Tom Hanks. And um, I have a list randomizer here that will determine the order uh, of what... Uh, I'm going to share my screen with you, Corey. All right. And let me know when you've accepted that. All right. I'm good to go. Okay. And you see here, part one, enter list items, randomize. You ready? Ready, set, randomize. Randomize. Okay. Well, oh, I see, because I put double spaces. So we're talking about, we're talking about Neil Young, Heart of Gold first, which is cool, because that's the, uh, that's the uh, the order I watched those in yesterday. Um, so Neil Young, Heart of Gold was my pick. Uh, it's a concert film uh, by Jonathan Demme and obviously Neil Young. Jonathan Demme, uh, one of the, the the foremost directors of live music, probably besides Martin Scorsese. We'll talk about one of his later on my list. Mm-hmm. And he directed Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads movie, which is also great. And uh, he's unfortunately passed away, but I think the last, I think this is the last thing he directed was Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids that's on Netflix. And it is also outstanding. Um, So yeah, my wife did not, my wife does not like uh, concert films as it is. And so she thought it was (laughs) kind of a cop out that uh, I chose a concert film, but it's playing in theaters. It's a movie. That's a movie. It's a documentary of sorts. Um, So this movie it was filmed in 2005 at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's Neil Young playing most of, if not all, I'm not sure, his album Prairie Wind. And mm-hmm. then it's kind of divided in half. So there's Prairie Wind at the top half of the concert. And then the back half of the concert is kind of all his hits. Yeah. And um, this movie was filmed shortly after he was diagnosed and treated for a uh, brain aneurysm. Yeah. And he wrote the album and recorded it while he was being treated for it. And he had to have a procedure done that uh, where they, they basically injured his brain on purpose to cut off the aneurysm. Yeah. Um, it's this, it's this procedure where they put small springs in your brain that are biodegradable apparently and um they basically cause your brain to form scar tissue that then heals the aneurysm which is crazy crazy (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's also crazy that he was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm and survived yeah because that's a very rare thing so he recorded this album. He, he got treated for this in the middle of recording the album and then came out the other side of that okay. And when he released the album, he recorded this concert film to kind of document his journey with this, this particular set of songs. And he debuted it at the Ryman. It's a very country-inspired album. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got his friend Jonathan Demme to film it because why would you get anyone else besides Martin Scorsese to <laughs> film it? Um, and it's the, the end result I think is one of the most 
intimate and emotional concerts I think I've ever seen. Um, before I saw this movie, I wasn't too familiar with Neil Young. This is the movie. This movie was my introduction to Neil Young's music and really struck a chord with me. Music pun sort of intended intended. Um, <laughs> when I, when I first saw it, I, I rented it when I worked at Hollywood video and uh, watched it with my dad. And uh, there was something about it. Uh, this is all Jonathan Demme's fantastic filmmaking. There was something about it that just really connected with me. I don't know what it was. Um, you know, my wife and I went to Nashville for our honeymoon. And that was three years ago. And the movie came out in 2006. And that's when I saw it. So it wasn't that. But now, going back and watching it, Nashville is my favorite city. Um, it's where I would love to live. One day, I fell in love with that city when I was there, man. Have you spent any time in Nashville, Corey? I have not. I think you I would like it a want, lot. I want to. I mean, being a musician, I'm like, oh, I yeah. gotta, I gotta go. Yeah. So that's that's the thing is is so my life has been kind of entrenched in music. Um, my dad was a professional drummer for a long time, and he taught me how to play the drums. But more on my end, my wife's a musician. She has her degree in music. She's a music teacher. She sings opera and stuff because she fancy. Yeah. But I, uh, I am more of a sound engineer. Um, that's where my background is. I came up, I did uh, country music sound professionally for about three years. And uh, I love it. Um, and I've done a bunch of different genres of music for both um, national touring acts and local acts uh, here in my hometown of Bakersfield. So music's a big part of my life, and I think that's why I connect to music movies. As a matter of fact, in two months, we're talking about another music movie here. Uh, Oh, no, it's like four or five months. But I don't know. So I I love music movies, and I love concert films. And this one just really, really stuck with me. And revisiting it, I hadn't seen it since 2006 when I rented it. I bought it forever ago. Um, What really stuck out to me was the shots Jonathan Demme got of the performance. Mm-hmm. He just got in there, man. Yeah, he did. Like, he's just like <laughs> all up in everybody's grill the whole time. And you can just kind of see what you can, you can, this is going to sound stupid, but you can kind of see into their brain. Like you can see on their face, them thinking about the song, specifically Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Um, and, just kind of what you know he introduces some of the songs with a story and you can see how him telling that story influences the way he performs that song and uh i remember the first time i saw it the one that stuck with me and it's been one of my favorite songs ever since is old man Mm -hmm. what a great song man i just man one of the all-time best songs (laughs) um yeah i just think it's super well written i think neil young's one hell of a songwriter yes Uh, he he writes about america like nobody else uh i took some notes uh i took some notes notes are great yeah um there's a song called no wonder that's the second song in the prairie wind section Mm -hmm. i just spilled tea all over myself and he said (laughs) uh this verse is amber waves of green uh bow in the prairie wind i'm hearing willie sing on the radio again that song from 9-11 keeps ringing in my head. I'll always remember something Chris Rock said. And man, what what lyricism. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the other one is 
it's a song called Hey Hey My My. It's he doesn't do it. It's called Into the Black. Neil Young vacillates between a lot of country music and a lot of rock and roll music. So he does, you know, Harvest Moon is one of his big songs, one Mm -hmm. of his big albums. But he also has Crazy Horse and Crazy Horse is more of his rock and roll stuff. Hey Hey My My is more on the rock and roll end of stuff. Um, So he does that a lot when he does Crazy Horse stuff. Dave Matthews covers this song a lot. But he's got a a verse in there where he says, uh, The king is gone, but he's not forgotten. This is the story of Johnny Rotten. It's better to burn... It's better to burn out than it is to rust. The king is gone, but he's not forgotten. And uh, wow, yeah, man, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was awesome. he's a big Elvis fan. He plays uh, he, one of the special features on the DVD is a song called "He Was the King," and it's this love letter to Elvis. Um, he loves music history. One of the songs he does is called "This Old Guitar," and he plays it on a guitar that belonged at freaking Hank Williams. Yeah, uh, which is nuts, and just like the way Jonathan Demi is able to get into Neil Young's space, right? He's, he's like right there with him uh, while, while he's performing these songs and he tells these stories and you kind of can see that on his face. It's really, really good. And just the shot composition throughout the whole thing. Yes. is really good. It's so good. (laughs) There's one shot that like, I didn't remember but it absolutely gobsmacked me. It was the shot of the clock. Did you notice oh, this? Oh, yeah. Yes. So he shoots the clock for like a couple seconds and then he whip pans to the stage and it's this weird like balcony angle on the stage and you see the string section just get up and walk off like right on cue. It was amazing. It blew my mind. Like, what a... Who would think to shoot it like that? Yeah. You know, I, yeah, it's just the shots, the composition is just really good. I one of I mean, so many, but one of them that stuck out to me was the one it's near the end of the concert. It's one of when Neil's playing by himself and it kind of mm-hmm. like everything goes dark and he's yeah. like, it's just the spotlight on him and the way like he positions the camera. And so you get some of that lens flare in there, too. But it's just like this very intimate, like. You know, it's just like a beautiful moment. And it's just like, man, it's just so powerful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of the movie uh, itself, Corey? So I I like watching concerts. Um, I just enjoy seeing musicians perform. And I just really connect with that. I don't really know a lot about Neil Young. I mean, I know some of the hits that he's played and like Mm. I knew Heart of Gold, but I don't really know a lot about him. So this was for me really an introduction to Neil Young. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And because I didn't know a lot of songs, there was for me a lot of attention focused towards the lyrics because I wanted I wanted to pick up, okay, what's going on here? Like, what is the song structure? And yeah, all the stuff that you were saying at the beginning, he is a great lyricist. Yeah, he is. And I loved how <clears throat> for some of the songs, he would share the emotional component, the story of why this song came to be. Like the one when he gives kind of like the prelude, he's talking about his father. Oh, playing the ukulele. And he plays yeah. uh, Bury Me Not on the Lone Prairie. Yeah. And I, I just... Getting to capture that moment but feeling so intimate just really it's like you said, I could see his emotion play out in how he performed that song. 
and just the way that like it feels like we're just really we're up in their space almost i was watching it and sometimes i'm like man like they were just like everywhere it's just like right up on them like yeah there's a couple times like how is he getting these shots like he's just too bad for like the audience like right there it's just like get out of the way everybody (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's uh there's a bunch of special features from the rehearsals that i haven't seen but i'd like to Mm -hmm. um i might go back and watch them this week and i really want to see sort of how jonathan demi put this whole thing together um to conceptualize it so the thing that stuck out to my father when we watched it, because he was more familiar with Neil Young than I was. Yeah. Is how sort of classy the whole affair is. And uh, by which I mean, Neil Young played here in Bakersfield back in May. I did not get the chance to see him, unfortunately. However, he played with Crazy Horse. So it was Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Uh, that dude did not wear a hat. He did not comb his hair prior to the show. And he was wearing ripped carpenter pants and a t-shirt with holes in it. <laughs> wow. That's usually his look. He kind of looks like a Grinch caveman. <laughs> and uh, so my dad, when he sees him in this like freaking tan suit with a hat on, my dad was like, that's Neil Young. He's probably like, who is this? Yeah. Well, and so since that movie made me a Neil Young fan, I totally get it. Because I've seen clips of him. I've listened to a bunch of his music. And that is not the Neil Young that you are used to seeing, really. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's Neil Young is is very much like a like he he says he's an old, he's a he's a hippie. He, he became a hippie with money when he bought his farm. Yeah, and he definitely is. But he's also a really fascinating musician in that he'll just do anything. Um, and like he doesn't care whether or not it works out, like. He did uh, an album of, like, industrial rock, and it's awful. I think it's called Transformer Man. It's terrible, but he did it. He went for it. Um, And uh, it is... So he did did an album in 2010 called Ling Noise, Mm -hmm. and... um, it's just him and an electric guitar in a ton of amps. He That's hooked it, it up to like he hooked he hooked his guitar up to uh I think it was like a wall of twelve amps or something. And just played through that. And that's the whole there's no band on it. That's the whole album. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and even the cover is just him standing in front of a bunch of amps with a cord running out from the guitar and just playing. More power to him. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the, he's always been that guy of just like, let me do this. Let me try this. Is that, will this work? No, whatever. I did it. So as a matter of fact, Lay Noise came out in 2010. That was his 30th studio album, man. 30th? Yeah. And Dang. that was eight years ago. Dang, that is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, Neil is just one of those guys that just, he has that bug, man. He just can't stop. You know, Johnny Cash was another one of those guys. Yeah. He was just recording and recording and recording. Um, But yeah, man, Heart of Gold is so, it's so intimate. It's so well shot. It's so, I don't know, it's just real classy, like I said. Yeah. Like, 
it, the the backgrounds during the prairie wind set are amazing yeah like um, they yeah they, they like, roll, roll in and out yeah yeah uh just the set design is really great the way he lit it with all these sort of earth tones mm-hmm. is really nice and then the way he kind of fades into the hit set is really beautiful from when yeah. god made me which is kind of a stupid song but um <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's, it's sort of like a, a dollar store version of imagine and yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> you know it it, it kind of fades into him in in this red blazer and the fancy backgrounds are gone and you just see the the stained glass background of the ryman auditorium you know it's the church Mm -hmm. of country music and he does these acoustic songs and at the end of the set he has like a million guitars on stage and amy lou harris is there because she's a badass and like um, why not yeah and why not she sings backup during the prairie wind set and i was like wow that's how you know they're homies because freaking amy lou harris amy lou harris is another one of those musicians though that just keeps putting out stuff Um, really she has she has a million albums man she's one of my favorite artists of all time and she just like you know it's she went and helped out neil young because she loves performing she loves it you know she i had the opportunity to see her at a bluegrass festival in San Francisco. And she's a huge name, man. She's Amy freaking Lou Harris, right? Yeah. She shows up a day early. She so I think she shows up for the whole week and just hangs out. And so she would just like pop on stage for a song or two during other people's sets the entire weekend. So the whole time I was like, oh <laughs> man, like we're going to see Amy Lou Harris and Rodney Crowell. Like that's going to be the capper to the weekend. It's going to be awesome. Cause she always headlines that festival. And uh, we saw her like four or five times that whole weekend because <laughs> she would just be like, Joey Lee's doing a set. Hey, Joe, like, let me sing a song. Um, she just loves music. Right. And so like Neil Young calls up Amy Lou Harris and is like, hey, you want to come do a song? You want to come sing backup in this concert film? And she was like, yeah, yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. Um, and that's cool. I respect that a lot. Um, so the Prairie Wind set is really great. The hit set is really great. He does everything. You know, mm-hmm. Harvest Moon, Heart of Gold, Old yep. Man, uh, The Needle and the Damage Done. Just like any Neil Young, like, more acoustic-y thing. Uh, dude plays the broom at one point. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> what? There's a guy dedicated to sweeping mm-hmm. for a whole song. And here's the thing, man. This concert sounds incredible. Yes, and that's the other thing about this film. So I've seen a lot of performance concert type films and you would hope like the sound is going to be up to snuff. That is a major thing just across mm-hmm. the board. But in this movie, the mix is so tight and I can't so it, clear. You can hear everything. Even like if you're listening on a phone or laptop speakers, which are not like the best for this type of thing. But mm-hmm. I feel like there's enough definition in the mix where it's like, oh, I can hear this <clears throat> and I can hear this and like the bass comes through and I never struggled at any point to like figure out what was going on. Yeah. There's a, there's a song called it's a dream that's really understated. And like, there's a lot of really quiet, like piano in it. Mm -hmm. It's in the Prairie wind set. It's kind of in the middle ish. There's this really quiet piano part that kind of wheezes its way throughout the whole song. It's a pretty simply um, put together song. But man, the piano just cuts through that whole thing like a knife. But it's not intrusive. 
it's just so precise um edge yeah man just everything is so clear when he has like 10 guitars on stage you can hear them all yep you know um the banjo sounds really good that dude on the bass is a monster yeah he was my favorite him and the electric guitar player were kind of my two favorites and like the 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 musicianship on stage between them you know country music gets this kind of weird rap for being simple music yeah um but i think there's sort of a beauty in its simplicity because it's really communal yeah and uh that's kind of what country music is right now Mm -hmm. uh i'm saying this is someone from a big country music town i'm from bakersfield california and that is the home of buck owens yep but country music started as a way for people to unwind after farming right like it was meant to be played in honky tonks and danced to and like it's music to unwind to and like me country music now is god awful but (laughs) um you know that that sort of acoustic-y uh not buck owens buck owens was the punk rock of of country music but that sort of really folksy yeah like folksy yeah there's something to be said about that man there's there's right so there's like the technicality of music music that's important yeah but there's also like a huge cultural component to it and i think we ditched the culture cultural component in lieu of fancy stuff more than we should yeah um and like you know, I think that's why bluegrass music gets a pass from a lot of people, right? Like, oh, brother, where art thou? There's some yeah. virtuosity in that playing, right? Yes, like, yes there it's, is. The banjo's really freaking hard to play. Yes. Um, and play well. Uh, and, I mean, Neil Young has outstanding players, right? He has a band that's been playing with him for like 35 years. Yeah. All started as Studio Cats. And um, those are some of the best musicians you're likely, likely to find. But at the same time, like, it feels like they're all in it together when they're on stage. And that's so important yes. when you're watching live music. Um, because if it feels like everyone's kind of doing their own thing, it's a really bad show. And this yep. just kind of, it just feels like a well-oiled machine watching them work and bounce off each other. Um, you know, once again, some of the shots that Jonathan Demi gets... Um, that I liked that he kept doing is he kept framing the background singers like right behind Neil Young. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of see even them like, right, he'd be in Neil's bubble and Neil's singing and he's not really paying attention to them or giving them a ton of signals. Um, now, it does help that Emmylou Harris is one of those backup singers. Yes. And but, you know, they just kind of come in right on cue. Like they don't, they, they it's second nature to them. They just kind of are vibing off of each other and really experiencing that onstage community to give the people a show. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. Cause that's like, you can do your book learning all day and become an amazing guitar player. But once you're in front of people, if you don't connect with the people you're performing with, it's all for nothing. Yep. And if you can't connect with the other musicians on stage, you know, yep. it doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't connect with your group and then connect with the audience, it doesn't matter. Yep. Um, do you have any other thoughts on uh, Neil Young, Heart of Gold? It's real good. I I liked what you said. It's It's a very classy, well put together concert. 
Yeah, it's really relaxing to you. Yes, it was it like is. I watched it yesterday afternoon and I was just like, man, what a Sunday movie, you know? Yes. Definitely very relaxing. Something that you could just rest easy to. Hopefully not fall asleep to, but it's just no. very it's just very calming. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Um so yeah, that being said, that's my number 100, Neil Young, Heart of Gold. Uh, if you're, Boom. if you're, what I will say is if you're not familiar with Neil Young, this is a good starting point, even though it came out like 35 years into his career. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the Prairie Wind set is something that people didn't really hear before it came out. Exactly. Um, so that first half is really quote unquote new music from him. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds of seeing his kind of current output and his older stuff. And you'll recognize a few of those older songs, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm Heart sure. of Gold's like a everyone's kind of Yeah, everyone song. knows that song, yes. Um, you know, it's... Uh, they, they say Yesterday is the most covered song in history, but I've never heard a cover of Yesterday. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I... Even I knew Heart of Gold, like, and I yeah. didn't even listen to... Yeah, I don't... I feel like everybody's heard something by Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, that's my number 100. Neil Young, Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold. Get on it. Alright, that's awesome. Well, switching gears, my number 100 is Bridge of Spies by Steven Spielberg, starring Tom Hanks. Yeah! Also, heck yeah. So, as we continue on this film journey, you guys will hear us talk about Spielberg at length. I think for both of us, he's one of our favorite directors, definitely yep. like in our top three. Um, the man is a magic maker. That's all I can say. And he can turn something that in someone else's hands might seem very bland or dry or uninteresting into something that is riveting and very compelling. Yes, sir. And that's kind of like how I feel about Bridge of Spies. Uh <laughs> It's set during the Cold War, and like the basic premise is Tom Hanks is an American lawyer. He's not a, uh, he's not like a, what is the word? He's not a criminal lawyer. Yeah, he he's does an insurance lawyer. Yeah, he's an insurance lawyer, and basically the U.S. government like taps him to defend a so-called Russian spy, and then. This later pulls him into negotiating for different hostage situation that's happening between Russia and America and then later some other people. But it's it's a really good movie. I really love Spielberg for so many reasons. And man, all of his films are just masterfully directed. I love... I love how he moves the camera. I love the pacing. I love even in shots that are very exposition heavy or there's lots of people talking, which this is spoilers. I mean, hopefully you've already seen it. It's it's a very talking heavy movie. Mm-hmm. But even the way that he is able to like stage people during those shots, where it's like you watch some of these interactions and it's like this person moves from here to here to here. And in the midst of that, he creates in one take like three different shots that is incredible and yep. just the way he visually tells a story there's lots of sequences in this film where there's no dialogue and we're just seeing visually what's going on and it's like wow like 
It's just, it's so powerful. And one of the things I really love about this movie is like, yeah, there's lots of war movies. There's movies set during World War II, the Cold War, like lots of stuff, Vietnam. And I really like that given this premise and, you know, it's based on like real events. Um, but given this premise, a lot of directors could have gone a lot of different ways with this movie. And I feel like this can tend to slide into cynicism or just like everything is for naught or, but Spielberg is kind of like the eternal optimist in a lot of how he paints characters. Um, and this is, this is one of those movies where it's like, we see, I feel like we, he's bringing out like the best in humanity and Tom Hanks does such a great job. And so does Mark Rylance. I mean, Mark Rylance won an Oscar for best supporting actor. Mm-hmm. And between their two performances, we, we get to see that idea of like the best of humanity come to the surface. And I love, I love that we end this movie on a hopeful note. We get to see like it's, it's good people who are really at the heart of these things that that helps us like that helps humanity to like just be better <laughs> because yeah. it's like you see you see in the midst of war like all this terrible stuff that's going on and obviously it's a war so it's like there is enemies and there are sides being taken and it's very evident you know in the way that this is written like where it's like yeah that is clear but at the same time, like the script does such a good job of like humanizing the characters and, you know, even the defense that Tom Hanks gives, you know, it's like he was this guy, this Russian spy was doing his job and he's been faithful and he hasn't leaked any secrets and da, 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 da. And like, isn't that what we would expect like of our men doing their job if they were captured by an opposing country? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really good stuff in here that he talks about, like, you know, what makes us American? Um, I love he has an interplay with somebody and it's like, you know, the government is basically trying to bribe him. It's like, hey, you're just you took this client. It's just kind of a publicity thing, but we're really going to give him the death penalty. And, you know, Tom Hanks pushes against that. And I love the idea. He's like, it's the rules. It's the Constitution. Like, that is what makes us American. It's like, you know, he's like, I'm Irish and you're Dutch and our ancestors came from all these places, but it's the rule book. That's what makes us American. And so there's, there's very much like the hope in this movie and very much seeing that, like, you know, even though, even in a thing as terrible as war and as horrible as it is. And, you know, there's other movies that really depict that. Um, I just love that, like, here the spotlight is shown that, like, you know, there is good in humanity. And um, I love how Tom Hanks' character shows that. He's like, I'm not going to compromise just because, like, I'm not going to compromise the values that make America, America. <clears throat> just you mean because... that make America great, Corey? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no comment. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like he's not willing to compromise the values that make America America and like demonstrating that to the world just because there is an agenda going on 
that the government wants to happen. This feels like it's a little too close to home, MJ, but <laughs> but I, I just love that he is that representation. And Tom Hanks does a great job of like, he's always done a great job of kind of being that everyman, you know? I feel like that's really where he shines. He's that everyman who navigates these situations and like walks <clears throat> that fine line of like the gray area. Yeah. But, you know, still wanting to stick to what is right. But I just love, you know, the way his friendship develops with Mark Rylance throughout the film. And, uh, yeah, just so many good things. Like, so many good things. I love the themes. Uh, I think the last thing before I, like, pass it over to you. I love um, their conversation when Mark Rylance is like, you remind me of this man that my father told us to watch when we were kids and basically tells a story that uh you know these soldiers would come and like beat beat their parents and stuff and there was this guy and he kept standing back up and then like they would beat him again and he'd fall back down and he'd stand back up and mark rylance goes on to say it's like i think it's because he kept standing back up for what was right protecting us that they like they let us live and that image of like Tom Hanks's character being the standing man standing for what's right, even though so many people oppose him. They're like, why are you defending the, the Soviet spy? Why, why are you doing all this stuff? Like when we should just, you know, Oh, you know, he just needs the death penalty. He, d he went to so many lanes to protect this man, to ensure that like, you know, justice was served like in how America is built on the, fundamentals of the constitution and just to see the value of like the human life there too i just think it's it's just really cool it's just really powerful i walked away liking this movie a lot more uh than the first time i saw it and i liked it the first time i saw it but i really enjoyed it the second time yeah i uh this is the second time i had seen it i hadn't seen it since the theater and what stuck out to me um about it is like you said like in any other hands, this would have been a really boring movie. Um, we see that kind of a lot. Have you seen a movie called The Good Shepherd? No. I think Matt Damon directed it. It's about the birth of the CIA. It's so boring. <laughs> that sounds man. terrible. And it should be a, an interesting movie. Yeah, it um, could be. You know, it, it kind of, I don't know. Or like, um, what's that? J. Edgar? Oh, yeah. It's like a Clint Eastwood movie, and it's awful. It's <laughs> It stars freaking Leonardo DiCaprio. And, oh no, Robert De Niro directed The Good Shepherd. That movie's a mess. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it's like three hours long, and it's so dry and like by the numbers, and there's no like visual flair to it. It's covered in this like brown gunk and i will say i do not like this late era spielberg lighting that he does this sort of washed out 1950s thing mm -hmm. i think it looks really ugly i don't like it in indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull i don't like it here it worked the best probably in the post but i still didn't really like it there yeah um <clears throat> yeah there's just his lighting has gotten really weird um late in his career and i don't like it I think he still has good shot composition and excellent camera work, but the lighting is really kind of kills the look of the movies for me. Um, 
unfortunately. Uh, even freaking Ready Player One had it. it like, the movie was too dark. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's just... His movies have... Despite his masterful camera work, look worse now than they ever have. And I don't like that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that being said, the extremely motivated camera work that he uses and the wonderful like uh way he directs your eye yes to follow the shots that he's doing like that opening scene where they're kind of following mike Ry- mark rylance down the subway tunnel yeah so that's, good that's so really good. well done that's really um, well done yeah it's it's really it man it just it works on every level and so that helps that that's so important to helping the verve of the movie, right? It's a yes. two hour and 21 minute movie. That's a lot, man. That That's is. a tall order. Um, and even, you know, Mike, my co-host on, on real perspective, he recently saw Lincoln for the first time. And he said, like, I put off watching this because I thought it was going to be real boring. Cause it's like a three hour movie about slavery getting overturned. And that's not like, not an important subject, but like we talk about it a lot. You yeah. Know, um it's there it's the subject of multiple films uh both fictional not fictional but you know <laughs> historical and documentary. Yeah. Um and you know it's it's something we talk about a lot not that that's a bad thing but it's like okay another one of these you know what to expect. Yep. yep. Um Lincoln has that washed out lighting too. Um but that movie's so good and Spielberg's direction and obviously Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in the movie are so good mm-hmm. that it, it makes the movie have like an energy to it, right? Yes. Like when it gets to the vote in Lincoln of, um, you know, whether to overturn slavery or not, there's a tension in it. And I think and, that's one of the things Spielberg does yeah. the best yep. is he brings tension to real life events. Yes. Like even the um, climax of this movie where they're waiting at the bridge to exchange mm-hmm. Mark Rylance um, for the American pilot, but then they're going to leave the American student at Checkpoint Charlie. And yeah. that sort of, that draw, that excruciatingly long waiting period that they have for that, it, you know, you could just look up how that happened. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like you know what happens because we have history but still in that moment you're just so riveted and like there is that undercurrent of tension yeah and like when tom hanks sees people start to follow him or when his house gets shot up yeah there's like real like paranoia in the movie and uh it's super great because like those cold war thrillers have a lot of paranoia in them yep and uh you know i think that's a really cool thing uh to have in 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 his movies and so he elevates this movie now the coen brothers did co-write the movie um with a couple other people i think and so that helps a lot there's like some coeny levity to it as well there's like really funny moments like even in that speech about the constitution it ends on a joke where he calls the guy an sob yeah and then there's like uh him meeting all the people uh in russia or in west germany yeah and yeah. uh he keeps like the, he finds out that they're a fake family and uh he keeps mistaking the men who come in the room for like the vogel guy or Vogel. Yeah. <laughs> is it vogel 
Vogel. I think. Vogel that he's supposed to be talking to. Um, but it turns out that guy's like an independent third party guy and not yeah. really connected. <laughs> like he's like a different guy entirely. And, uh, you know, there's like there's funny moments in there that kind of keep it you keep you paying attention. Yeah, there's there's enough levity so that it's not just all like I said, like it's not just like a dour like. Uh, you know, right. I don't think Spielberg could make a dour movie if he tried. He no, did try. No. And it's not very good. Temple of Doom. Um, I like <laughs> Temple of Doom, but I like Temple dour. of Doom. Um, <clears throat> and then. I don't want to say I want to push back on your interpretation of the ending. Yeah. Um, because I think you're right that it does end very hopefully, especially when you see that end title card of yeah. what Donovan went on to do and he helped to negotiate the Bay of Pigs and, uh, you know, by the end of his career had saved 9,000 plus people. Yeah. That was crazy. I didn't remember that. Um, but I will say that's it's not a cynicism, but there's almost a melancholy to the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a to, melancholic hope. Yeah. To when he sees the kids jumping over yeah. the fence and because it reminds him back. Yeah. yeah. It reminds him of what he saw in Berlin, like while they were constructing the wall of people trying to like get over and the sort yep. of executions he saw. Yeah. Um, that were done in nothing but cold blood. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a very somber moment, but it's not a dreary movie. No, no. Um, and that tone is so hard to hit. Like it rides that line perfectly. Yeah. Um, Tom Hanks is great as always. Mark Rylance. What a find man. This was his first movie. His man. first movie. He's good so night. good. Yeah. He's I mean, so good to be fair. He was part of the Royal Shakespeare company before this, but, uh, still it just, man, yeah, he's so freaking good in this movie, and he's, you know, kind of Spielberg's muse right now. He's been yeah. in everything he's been in, and he's excellent in all of it. Um, you know, he's great in the BFG. Yeah, uh, he's great in Ready Player One, which is not a great movie. No, um, it's not. But he's really freaking good in that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I don't know. I'm just excited to see where their kind of working relationship goes from here. Um. Yeah. You know, I put on Facebook yesterday that um, I was watching this movie and I said, may we all be punished for dismissing late era Spielberg movies as quote unquote lesser. Yeah. Because uh, that dude still got it, man. Like the camera, the way there's. There's no way anyone else could have made this movie the way he made it. Yeah. Like it has. It's like what we we're talking about. It has that sense of even though there's so much talking and. Like, that's how most of the plot is driven forward. There's still a lot of ways that he makes it exciting and he makes Mm -hmm. it interesting. And there is that energy and there's that tension. And I think for something like a political thriller, something that's very exposition heavy, people talking, that is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this movie nails it. Like, I am compelled as I'm watching it. I don't want to stop and be like, man, this is really boring or... Uh, I'm confused because there's just been so much dialogue and I don't know what's going on. And the visual storytelling, the world building in this, it just, it feels like just even the small details that he puts in there. Like even Tom Hanks has a couple interactions like with his son and you see like what his son is learning in school about the whole era. It's just like small little details like that. That's just really like 
there's just all these pieces that's just come together to make something that is really interesting as opposed to just like, oh, yeah, this was a thing that happened and it, this is kind of like historical fiction and we've, we take some liberties and stuff. But it's, yeah. it's really compelling. I really care. And like, yeah, when we get to the bridge at the end, I'm like, are they going to get them? I don't know. But it's like, but we already know because history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too. The movie goes on for 20 minutes once they get to the bridge. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. That's insane when you think about it. Because it's like, it should be bridge, done. Credits. Yeah, right? But no. There's a right, whole like, anyone else there. Anyone else would have ended that movie with uh, Abel walking down the bridge, right? And he's perfectly centered in the middle of it, walking towards, you know, his uncertain fate. Yeah. Uh, well, he's in the moment uncertain fate, right? You can obviously yeah. look up what happened to him. And then credits. Yeah. Right? But then we see, you know, the exchange at Checkpoint Charlie and the American soldier coming home. And then, you know, he comes home and he has that great moment with his wife where he brings her the jelly. Yeah. And she's like, this is from the <laughs> store on the corner. And he's like, oh, we were so busy. And then, like, she goes inside and he's on the freaking news. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, uh, hey, uh, you know, James Donovan. uh Helped and yeah, yeah, negotiate this thing, and she's just like, "What?" And then he's passed out on the bed in his suit. Yeah, and then that nice, and then that great closing scene that we talked about, where it's like it bookends, yeah, on the train, and he sees the kids, and yeah, it's just, it's just really well done. And like you're talking about, like the late era Spielberg stuff. I feel like this is one. I know for me, like it's not like I dismissed this movie when I saw it. Like I like. I liked it. I enjoyed it, but I definitely appreciate it a lot more now um, just for so many reasons, just from like the whole thing we're talking about, like he was able to make this historical political thing very interesting. And it's just really interesting to look at the type of films that Spielberg is choosing to make kind of with his, you know, his later years, kind of mm -hmm. his, his sunset years. And like, I don't mean that in like a doom and gloom way, but it's just very interesting the choices of things he has chosen to highlight. And so as I was watching this movie, just kind of keeping that in the back of my mind, it's like, what are the, what are the themes that he wanted to bring to the surface in this film? And, you know, it's just interesting looking across like in the last five years, you know, yeah. Even if I didn't love Ready Player One, it's interesting to be like, why did he choose to make that movie? Because he wanted to make a movie about George Lucas and his relationship with George Lucas. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, I, that's, yeah. that's how I see that movie is like, it, I feel like Spielberg could care less about the Oasis and the Egg and yeah, Gunters, no. whatever the hell those are. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, to me, that movie at its core uh, 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 the creator guy, I forget his name. Um, yeah, Mark Rylance's character is George Lucas, and Ogden Morrow is Steven Spielberg. Yes, yep. that's it. Like, yeah, that, that's that's the core of that movie. And there's only a handful of scenes with them, but like, those are the best scenes in the movie. But, and you're like, oh, this is the part he actually gave a damn about. Yeah, and it's like, it, but it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, so he made this movie because he he wanted to tell that story. You know, he wanted to. To talk at like to talk about that to pull the curtain back if you will mm -hmm. and yeah so it was just interesting to be like yeah he made 
bridge of spies i feel like to address a lot of you know amidst what's going on in america in our very like polarized america i feel like spielberg was like this is the message that i want to share with people yeah and it's it's you know it's this interesting thing right like spielberg's movies always reflect kind of the times yeah i I think the times and also what he thinks about them obviously the post is about donald trump like 100 percent the post (laughs) is so good it's on my list um spoilers uh you know the the post is about that war of the worlds is about 9-11 yeah um you know this was about you could say uh, uh, that that Ready Player One is actually about Lucas selling Star Wars to Disney, and then yeah, what happened, the fallout of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's there's kind of all this stuff. I have this theory that that uh, Spielberg's going to retire soon, maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, I have a feeling he's going to go out with Indiana Jones Five because I know he's got some heist movie with Mark Rylance coming out, and I know uh, he's remaking West Side Story. And they're oh, casting yeah. that right now. And I know Indiana Jones 5 has been delayed at least once. Um, so I have this feeling that he's going to retire on that movie. It's just a hunch. I have no real um, <laughs> evidence evidence for that. It's just kind of like it feels like he's putting out a lot of movies right now. Um, I mean, the post came out in December and Ready Player One came out in March. Yeah, he just ninja the post. Yeah, he he shot that thing in like three weeks or something stupid. I think it was like eight months between him accepting the project and the movie being in theaters in competition for the Oscars. And it's so good. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that on that episode. Yes, but, we will. You know, and, and he, he just kind of, his output has gained a lot in the recent years. And he had kind of a dry spell there after War of the Worlds. Yeah. Um, you know... And I think that that Bridge of Spies, you know, we talked about the post obviously being his thoughts on on the Trump administration and um, um, <clears throat> Bridge of Spies isn't really about that. Obviously, it no. feels very much like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think Bridge of Spies is just like, hey, what what does it mean to be American in this yep. sort of society? You know, I think 9-11 had a huge impact on him. Um, yeah. And so it kind of felt like post 9-11, he's trying to just put some optimism back in the world. You know, even Lincoln predates Black Lives Matter being a thing. Yeah. Um, and I think those two movies are just like, OK, what does this mean? Like what what made us America in the first place? Like you talked about. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't politically motivated. It was just like, I mean, it was in the sense that it was he was still him processing 9-11. Yeah. Um, and just like, whoa, like, OK, it's crazy times now. What what was it like when things were quote unquote better? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> from a certain point of view, better, I guess you could say. Or what started us on the road to redemption as yes. a country, you know? Um, and those are very mature thoughts to be thinking. And it just seems like it's it's just entries in a diary yeah. towards the end. Um to me i hope he doesn't i hope that dude makes movies i hope that dude selfishly for me dies on a film set um but be awesome yeah right that would be like i'd be like oh i'm sad but also dope (laughs) (laughs) that's the dream isn't it um so yeah i mean i I don't know spielberg's great man he is great he's everything 
He's everything that I aspire to be in so many ways. But yeah, it was just, yeah, I really enjoyed Bridge of Spies. I feel like it is one of his later year films that, I don't know, for me, it just holds up a lot more than I remembered it. I mean, it was good. I always liked it when I watched it, but it just feels more poignant now. Um, sure. In if you know, in in the last couple movies that he's done, I feel like for me, like it stands like it and the post, um, having some time from Bridge of Spies. I'm like, okay, yeah, I I really enjoyed this, and I liked the hopeful but still like melancholic, like you know, there is there is hope in the midst of this and there are good people like you know donovan like tom hanks's character and like mm-hmm. that's that's what makes america america you know and i think it's like you said i think he is trying to infuse that hope back into like us with you know while everything is just crazy now so i really appreciate it i love spielberg so many good things yep <laughs> Yeah, so that's a uh, that'll do it. On, yeah, uh, the episode first, one. Yeah, episode one, the Phantom movies, um, <clears throat> and uh, that was fun, man. Yeah, that was great. I just, yeah, man. Uh, we're gonna go offline for a minute. Honestly, we'll just keep recording. Um, yeah, <laughs> but we're gonna go offline for a minute. Talk about a title. And then we'll come back and give you guys the official title of Name Redacted. Um, and yeah. then person who movies. wins, contact yep. us uh, via Facebook. You can either contact us on the Real Perspective page or, you know, um, tweet at us. personally. Yeah. Yeah. Tweet at us, uh, Facebook Messenger. We're both on there. Um, and get us your info and we will uh, send you something cool. And then obviously yeah. your preferences. Um, all that stuff. We'll go over that in a minute. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's uh, go talk about this. Hey, we're back. All right. Yeah. Hey. Uh, so we after some very logical uh, debates, um, <laughs> we narrowed it down to two. Yes. Um, we narrowed it down to real influences from Carol mm-hmm. Simmons, uh, which is a great title. Uh, woot, woot. Someone should use that. That's a yes. That's excellent. That's an excellent title. Um, and then, uh, we also narrowed it down to formative filmography from Jeremy yes. Calcara, right? Is that? Yes, that's that right? correct. Yes. Jeremy, uh, I know you're listening. Um, we actually listened to the beginning of the UHF podcast we did with, <laughs> with Josh <laughs> to learn how to pronounce your name because I always thought it was Calcara and it's not. Nope. So, uh, Jeremy Cal- Calcara. Calcara? Yep. Calcara? Something like that. Calcare, I think, is how Josh pronounced it. Um, I'm sorry we're butchering your name. Yep, sorry Jeremy, about that. But uh, but thank you for your suggestion. Yeah, so, uh, drumroll please. Confused cat looking at me. The title of <laughs> Named Redacted is... is... Formative Filmography. Jeremy, Formative you Formative Filmography. Uh, I really, really, really like that title. To be honest, that was my favorite from the beginning. Um... So I'm glad I saw it win. Uh, it's a really great title. I think it's a perfect distillation of what this show is about. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's a very good way to uh, sort of thesaurusize uh, <laughs> the movies that made us into still meaning the same thing. Yep. 
and uh yeah it's just real snappy i like the alliteration there um it's just it's a good title man yeah it's got some punch to it so yeah there's some hard like sounds in it so it sticks like formative filmography yeah um i don't know it just sounds really good so there you go uh contact us on uh facebook i know we'll probably we're we'll probably be playing ticket to ride digitally soon so if you just want to tell me then um (laughs) yeah uh let me know one um what you want i know you already mentioned that you wanted the two blu-rays um but just let me know for sure on that and then uh, let me know if you have any content restrictions or uh ratings restrictions or whatever yep yep um you know you can contact us both on on facebook or on twitter uh i'm at mj smith 891 i know you already follow me Corey. what are you on twitter i am at cat in the hat 49 yep uh you can contact us through the real perspective page um but yeah thanks again man and thank you carol for that excellent suggestion yes, thank as well. you um and thank you everyone who submitted a suggestion yeah it's, it means a lot that you guys listened and responded like it means a lot yeah it know. means a lot like that uh, you took the time to think of names and listen through so we really appreciate it yeah yeah um so yeah that's it for, this has been episode one of formative filmography um, but but what before we go, MJ, we have uh-huh. to talk about the movies that they watch next week. It's true. It also would help to stall because hopefully something cool will be entering my apartment that we can talk about on the air. Oh, uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, like we talked about on the last episode, our lists are 100% locked in now. So there's no changing they are. whatsoever from this point forward. Um. So it's I I'm as happy as I guess I have to be with my list. Um, right before we recorded, I tossed out two films and and, and replaced them. So I was I was sad. Yep, for both I threw of them. out Deja Vu, the uh, Denzel movie. Denzel, um, it you know Denzel's not represented on my list, and I feel like he probably should be. <sighs> but crying. he's on my list. So yeah, we've got a we, times. between the two of us, we've got Denzel covered. Yeah, and. I love that movie. Um, I really do. It's got my favorite <laughs> car chase in any movie I've ever seen. Um, but that being said, the the movie as a whole, maybe not top 100 worthy. And then mm-hmm. I also tossed out um, the Ten Commandments uh, because <laughs> I hate God. No, Um <laughs> Just because it was the more I, the more I saw it on my list, the more I was like, ah, I don't know if it belongs in that spot. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know if it where it lands on this. And so it was just like, well, is it even in here then? So I ended up replacing it with a, a, a couple things. And I'm 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 pretty excited about what I I replaced them with. Um, one of them we'll be talking about very soon, but not on the next mm-hmm. episode. We'll be talking about that on episode. Five. Um yep. And it's another music movie, but that's all I will say about that. Corey, what about your list finalization? What what was that process like for you? It was pretty fierce. I feel like I thoroughly gutted my list. All right. And then built it back again and gutted it again. And I think it's in a good place. I still, we're locked in. So we have to go, but I'm still not 100%. Like I would say, these are my top 100 movies I have to choose for all time. But I would definitely say the list 
and especially my top 20 is very representative of what has been formative filmography for me personally. Uh, see what I did yeah, there? Yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there we go. But yeah, it's definitely reflects me in stuff that I really love. I have some personal attachment to uh, films that I think are super well done or films that really exposed me or opened me up to a different genre or a certain aspect of filmmaking or something. So those are kind of my three uh, pivot points for things that got onto this list. But yeah, overall, I think it's going to be good. Between you and I, MJ, we cover uh, the spectrum of genres. So that's going to be fun. That's good to hear. Um, I have a lot of uh, newspaper movies on mine. I noticed. <laughs> I noticed. That's okay. I have a lot of horror and music. Yes. So, and not necessarily musicals, um, but movies about music. Yeah, which is great. Yep. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about my list, and yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a good time. Um, so, Corey, what is your number ninety nine that we'll be talking about next week? All right, my number ninety nine is a little movie called Edge of Tomorrow. But, but I have it higher on my list. So, so one of the things that we talked about in the last episode is how we would handle duplicates. Um, yes, Edge of Tomorrow is my number ninety one movie. So, um, so with we decided, that, we decided, we decided favor goes to the higher rank. Sure, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are we doing instead of the movie? Oh, hang on. I think this is the call I've been waiting for. Oh, okay. The cool thing in my apartment. Okay, so my wife is on her way with um, what I'm told is a very cool little piece of film history. I don't really know what that means. And Neither do I. I don't really know where she got it. So she will be making a surprise appearance on the show because I want to find out what this is with all of you. So yes. while we're waiting for her, um, let's see, where were we? 91 was, uh, my 91 is Edge of Tomorrow. Your 99 is Edge of Tomorrow. Therefore, yep. we'll be waiting to talk about Edge of Tomorrow until we hit the uh, 91 episode. So Correct. what did we decide on instead of just talking about the same movie twice? So we decided that favor goes to the higher placed movie mm-hmm. and since it was lower for me, I get to choose another movie by the same director. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie starring the same actor or nope. a movie that we've even seen. Or even like. Yeah. <laughs> so the, this is what we'll call uh, like some wild card action. So Edge of Tomorrow is directed by... Um, help me out, MJ. Doug... Lyman. Doug Lyman, and I am pulling up his filmography right now, and you guys are going to hear in real time us make this decision. He's doing a movie about Attica? Anyway. What? He's doing a movie about Attica, the prison uh, riot thing. Oh. He's also making a movie, a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Really? And that's real stupid. That's a real stupid title. Is Tom Cruise in it again? I would imagine so. And Emily Blunt? I hope so. 
man. Um, so anyway, I'm going to read off a couple options that MJ and I have talked about. And yeah, we're just going to make this happen right here. Uh, we also decided that the final, like, we will talk about it and discuss it, but the final say comes to the person whose movie had to um, basically secede to the other movie. So, mm-hmm. American Made. Okay. The Wall. Ooh, that sounds like a winner. Um, there's a movie called Fair Game. I have no idea what that's about. Nope. There is the 2008 movie Jumper, which I hear is fantastic. Oh, man. I saw that in theaters. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, throwback to 2005. Yep. and then Documentary about me and my wife. Yep. Yeah. So you guys can get to know MJ and Kristen very well. And The Born Identity, which I do enjoy me some Born. Yeah, those are good movies. Even with all the handheld, you know? Yeah. Hey, that was uh, Greengrass who brought that in. Yeah, I did. You know, and I and I like it. It gets a little over the top in some of them, but yeah. the Firstborn movie is legit. I think yeah. I like the third one the best. The third one is the best one, for sure. And then the other two I pretend didn't happen. Go and Swingers? Oh. Uh, no, the other the, Bourne movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The random Jeremy Renner one. <laughs> the and, Bourne Legacy. And, and then he the was one like, was just called Jason Bourne. <laughs> that was terrible. I saw that in theaters with my father Did we see that? Oh, I thought we saw that together. It. I was r- really let down. Yeah, it was real bad. It was a real bad movie. <laughs> I was like, why did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> um. So, MJ, give us your pitch behind the wall. Why should we watch the wall? Uh, we should watch the wall because I want to know at least one other person who subjected themselves to this mountain of BS. <laughs> um, the walls a really, really, really good movie. And then it absolutely, it just, <laughs> I've never seen a movie commit suicide before, but that's what happens is the movie is fantastic and then just decides to hurl itself off a cliff in the last 10 seconds. I hate this movie so much. Wow. So the bottom literally falls out. Yes. Ah, man. And like, I don't want to watch it again, but I will <laughs> just because I know Corey will. Have seen it. Uh, now, uh, the other thing American made, uh, those are, those are my top two choices. The Wall and American Made uh, for very different reasons. Um, <clears throat> American Made, I would like to talk about because it's another Tom Cruise, Doug Lyman um, team up movie. Yep. And uh, he likes working with the same directors now. Yeah. And I think my wife's here. Oh, here we go. All right, so my wife just walked in the door, and she said, I'm here, and all I all I got was a text message that said, boy, do I have a surprise for you, and I said, <laughs> okay, and she said, I have a little piece of film history in my car. Hi, Kristen. Bringing... Corey says hi. Hi. Um, and she's bringing in a table. Yeah, so they reupholstered it, so it doesn't... 
We can take that off because it's kind of dirty. Okay. So what what is this table? Why am I why am I excited about a table a film history? Um so the a person a lady that I'm singing with, Leslie Roberts. Um she is she had a a fire in her bathroom. Okay. So she it it you know covered all of her stuff with smoke and so you have to pay like $35 for like just a medium box of stuff to get cleaned. So instead of cleaning all her stuff and paying for it to get clean, she uh, decided to give away and sell a lot of her stuff because she just didn't think it was worth it. So after we were done with rehearsals, she was like, hey, Kristen, come to buy, come to the back of my car and see what's inside. <laughs> and <clears throat> I didn't really want to, but then Sarah waved me over and so I did. And she was like, so she was like, I don't know if anyone's interested in this table, but it's actually from it's actually a set piece from the original A Star Was Born. Really? Wait, yeah. wait, wait. Wow. Okay. Which Whoa. original? I think the original original one because she said her grandparents worked on the set. Wow. Mm-hmm. All wow. right. Uh, well, Jeremy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know you are the most hype I've ever seen for A Star Is Born. Uh, let me see. Um. What? So it should be the 1937. The 1937 one? A Star is Born. Alright. Um, a movie that has been remade so many times. Gonna, this is going to be the fourth remake yes. of, of the film. Um, so this is the one that was uh, produced by Selznick and um, stars Janet Gaynor. Mm-hmm. And Frederick March, uh, uh, Janet Gaynor's only Technicolor film, and Frederick March's uh, very first one, um, directed by William A. Wellman. And I actually have only seen the Barbara Streisand version of it, but with the new one coming out, uh, I wouldn't mind going back and revisiting them. And the cat loves this table, by the way. <laughs> She loved it so much. That's really cool, though. Yeah. That's so awesome. I was like, oh, MJ would love this. So we could put it in the office yep. with all the podcast yep. stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I will take a picture and put it on uh, the social medias for you yeah, guys. Yeah, we can take yeah. this off, though. It's kind of ugly. Yeah, it does It's just look like a vinyl cool. cover. Okay. It's just stapled on. Cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. And the cat has a new spot in the office. She loved it so much. It's perfectly cat sized. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that's all. Well, tell Leslie I said thank you. Mm-hmm. Film uh, history. Yeah, there's a piece of film history just sitting in my apartment right now. That's so crazy. Thanks to your wife. Uh huh. My wife finds all the coolest stuff for me. <laughs> way to go, Kristen. Um, Corey says, way to go. Uh, she found me. A signed copy of Mike Birbiglia's My Secret Public Journal. Um, Wow. Yeah, she found me a signed copy of a Jeopardy book. It's got Alex Trebek's autograph in it. Oh. Yep. What was the other thing you found me? I thought there was a... Oh, is it the Emmylou album? Oh, yeah. She found me a signed Emmylou Harris album. What? (laughs) Yeah. All three of those came from the same store. (laughs) Wow. The same trip? No, okay. different trips. Different trips. 
Yep. Uh, cool. Thanks. Sweet. Figuring oh, out American this. American Made. Yes. So American, American Made, Made is a Doug Lyman and Tom Cruise team up, and it would be really cool to talk about that, especially because um, Doug Lyman, um, they they announced on the same day. Um, let me look this up. Doug Lyman was originally slated to direct a movie in the DCEU, uh, Justice League Dark, which is oh. the spoopy Justice League. Um, it's got Constantine and Dead Man and Swamp Thing. And now I know the track record for the DCEU is bad. That's not but, happening. But I love Justice League Dark because it's got Swamp Thing in it. And Swamp Thing's like my second favorite comic book character. Yes. So I was really excited because Doug Lyman is actually a pretty good director. And I was like, oh, man, like he might be able to uh, not make this garbage. And he <laughs> dropped out of that movie. Well, the same day they announced that Top Gun 2 was happening. Oh. And I had this crazy like conspiracy theory that he dropped out to make Top Gun 2 because American Made had just come out. And it was a movie about tom cruise flying airplanes so it was doug lyman had just directed a movie where tom cruise flew around a bunch and i was like okay so they just collaborated on edge of tomorrow and american made there's no way doug lyman is not directing top gun 2 yeah and he is not directing top gun 2 oh. but that was that was my theory there for and i feel like the evidence was overwhelming yes <laughs> um you know same day he drops out of a movie, they announced this new Tom Cruise one. He had just released the one about him flying. Um, they had released a really well-received Tom Cruise movie in Edge of Tomorrow. Um, and, like, American Made has a lot of fans, too. So I saw American Made. It's pretty good. I don't remember a lot about it. I saw it at the height of kind of me dealing with this medical stuff I've been dealing with. Some uh, panic and anxiety disorder that got in the way of this show getting released, actually. Um, so it's one I'd like to give another chance to, uh, just because I do love Tom Cruise so much. Um, so either one of those is kind of my option, but whatever whatever you pick, Corey. Right, whatever I pick. And then, so I think it's between those two. I also want to ask, you have seen that Jumper movie? Yes. What's What's going on with that? I'm very intrigued because I was like, oh, I didn't know Hayden Christensen got work after... <laughs> star wars yeah it's uh he it's it's like a sci-fi movie where like people can teleport and he's a guy that can teleport anywhere he wants and then he meets an evil version of that and that's kinda, yeah that's kind of it um it's bad but it's not so catastrophically bad to where i think it would make an interesting podcast but if uh. you want to watch another uh hayden christensen performance i'm I'm down to watch it again. I think the if we're gonna do go the bad route though, the wall is the much more interesting one. All right. Well, given all these things, I'm ready to to weigh in and give my verdict. We're going to be watching the wall, ladies ah. and gentlemen. <sighs> Boo! I hate this movie. 
Applause all around. This is going to be the first episode. This The next episode is going to be the first episode I've ever had to censor. Um, <laughs> this man, one's for I you, Mike. I'm mad at you now. Um, golly. All right. Well, what else let's are we talk watching, about a MJ? Good movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll balance this out by talking about one of the best sci-fi films ever made. Um... We're going to be talking about Gattaca. Now, I know what you're saying, and that is, MJ, Gattaca is very low on your list. And what I will say is, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really do think that this should probably be higher on my list, but I just didn't edit it. So uh, it's not. It's 99. It is outstanding. Um, have you seen Gattaca, Corey? I have not. Oh, man. It's so good. So it's about... Uh, do you know what it's about? Nope, I have no idea. Okay, so it takes place in the future. And in the future, what happens is um, there's a sort of eugenics-y program to where humans can uh, genetically alter their child's DNA while they're being developed. Oh, there's this guy who was born without any of that genetic modification. And he's grown up kind of in the shadow of this society that all does it. So he's kind of low class, according to those people. Mm -hmm. um, and he really wants to go into space and explore space, but he can't because he has it a condition that his parents knew about and opted to have him have. Um, so he assumes the identity of someone who has had this genetic splicing done. And poses as him to try to get into space. All right. Yep. So that's the story of the movie. It came out in 1997, directed by Andrew Nichol. Uh, it stars Jude Law, Uma Thurman, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, Andrew Nichol also directed The Host, um, Simone, In Time, and Lord of War. Lord of War is also a, a, another pretty good movie with Nicolas Cage in it. Nick um, Cage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Gattaca is great. It's, it's probably one of my top two favorite sci-fi movies besides like children of men maybe mm -hmm. gravity um it's outstanding man it's so grounded in like reality and it's really scary to think that that could happen i don't know it's a really really interesting movie with a lot of good themes in it also um gattaca mm -hmm. is the movie is only spelled using the four letters that make up human dna really you see yep yep wow G yep genetic coding is it's uh if you if you uncode a strand of of dna it's g-a-t-c are the four um letters that kind of make up the the helix and so various combinations of those letters are what make us us wow if that makes sense yeah. um so, yeah, uh, it's it's a fantastic movie. There's a lot of cool visual stuff in there that kind of hammers home the DNA stuff, right? Like those letters mm -hmm. keep repeating over the movie and um, 
it's just it's just great top to bottom man it's it's a really really good movie i didn't know you hadn't seen it i thought you had no and uh i'm now really excited for you to watch it especially because we gotta watch this trash eat the wall (laughs) you're welcome yeah thanks um so yeah that'll do it uh that was episode one of formative filmography i hope you enjoyed it yeah Um, yeah, jeremy get in contact with us via twitter via dm uh, mm-hmm. while we're in between talking trash on ticket to ride um yeah uh so your homework for next month is the wall and gattaca yep. um we hope to see you next time uh and leave us any feedback uh you can contact us yes. i'm at mj smith 891 on twitter Corey, what about you i am at cat in the hat 49 i'm also at mj smith 891 on instagram i'm trying to get better about using that i think i'm getting there um and then like Real Perspective on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes. I just found out that our logo on iTunes is still the Before and After Show logo, so I'm going to have to change it. I didn't realize that. The Before and After Show lives on. Yep. Yeah. So uh, if you find the Before uh, Real Perspective on uh, iTunes, it will have a logo that says the Before and After Show, but that is the correct show. Um, so yeah, yes. this was uh, Formative Filmography. Until next time, catchphrase. Maybe that's contest number two. Figure to figure yes. out a catchphrase. Yes, we need a catchphrase. Yep. Uh, do you have anything else, Corey? No, that's it. All right. We will see you next time.